Thanks for joining us today. You're not here by accident. I believe that God is going to impart a message of hope to you today. And at Summit Christian Center, well, that's what we're all about, bringing messages of hope to people here and around the world. You can play a part in this by simply going online to summitsa.com. That's summitsa.com and select giving. Your giving enables us to keep the messages going forward. Thanks for joining us today and may God richly bless you. Well, we're in a series called Small Words with Big Impact. And we're looking at one word each week that can change your life. Last week, we started with the word no, because so many of us find our lives overcrowded and crammed. It's a good boundary word that declutters your life and makes a little room or space for God. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Especially is that true when it comes to being over busy and in a hurry. So we're going to practice no and saying no one last time before we leave it behind. I'm going to shout out a few messages our world will shout at you. And I want you to shout back at me the word no like you were two years old with attitude. So here we go. The world says live an insanely overscheduled life. Live with a hurried spirit. No. Buy stuff you don't need. No. Impress people you don't even like. No. Put your family on the altar of overachievement. No. You're really good. That's got some in it for early morning. Good job. I read an article online this week called The Most Dangerous Word in the World. And it's about the power the word no can have over your mind. It's written by Andrew Newberg, who is a specialist in neurology and spirituality. Here's what he said, quote, If I were to put you into an MRI scanner and flash the word no for less than one second, you'll see a sudden release of dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. These chemicals immediately interrupt the normal function of your brain, impairing logic, reason, language processing, and communication. In fact, just seeing a list of negative words for a few seconds can make a highly anxious person or depressed person feel even worse. And the more you think on them, the more you can actually damage key structures that regulate your memory, your feelings, and your emotions. You'll disrupt your sleep, your appetite, and your ability to experience long-term happiness and satisfaction. Just from long-term exposure to negativity, and particularly the word no. Now, everybody has to learn, we looked last week, at how to say no, especially when I want to make space for God in my life. You can't, however, live on a diet of no. It'll kill your spirit. You were made in the image and likeness of God, and you were made for yes. So we're going to look at yes today. When you love somebody, part of what happens is you want to say yes to them. If a parent and a child relationship's working pretty good, when a kid comes to a parent and says, can I go on this adventure? Can I have permission to do this? Can we do this together? Can I have this thing my heart desires? 
a parent loves to say yes. I have grandchildren. My daughter and son-in-law love to say no. But when they come over to Poppy's house and Cece's house, I say, welcome to the house of yes. You want chocolate syrup on your cereal? Yes. You're four years old, you want an iPhone? Yes. We all need to hear yes. And we're going to talk about that. So we want to say yes. You, know, you might have to say no sometimes, but you love saying yes. A friend comes to you and says, could we spend some time together? Could I tell you this secret I've never told anybody else? Could I share this burden with you? Well, friends love to say yes to other friends. Would that be right? Yeah, that's just normal. When you fall in love with somebody, romantic love, oh my goodness. I grew up real slow with girls. I was raised Baptist. I can still remember vividly the first time I said to a girl, can I kiss you? And she said, yes. It was no big surprise because it was Cindy. We've been married two years, but I was slow. <laughs> I ain't that slow. Okay. When there's somebody who has a yes in their heart for you, they want to encourage you. They believe in you. They see the best in you. They'll confront you sometimes, but only because they love you so much, they want the best for you. They see you headed towards a cliff. They want to, hey, stop it, turn around. You're too valuable for this. They see you with somebody that's not good for you. They'll probably be gracious, lower, lower their tone, but, this, but to say uh, that somebody you're with is a bad fit, it's only because, not because they're God or anything, but because they love you and don't want you to be hurt and end up uh, with, a, with a, a, you know, better to be single than unhappily married. I don't know. You don't believe that, but it's true. Talk to, some un, talk to some unhappily unmarried people and get a grip on yourself. I'd rather get me a Labrador retriever than have a bad marriage. Leaves that old lab will love you all the time. Never get mad, never hold a grudge, right? That was pretty pitiful applause there. I wasn't, wasn't really good. But you know what I said is true. So people love you. When they love you, they want to say yes to you. On the other hand, when somebody carries a no in their heart for you, you can feel it. You, you can see it in their face. They want to find fault. They want to rain on your parade. They love to criticize. Okay, why did I give you all that? This leads to a really important question this morning, and here it is. Do you think of God as having a yes in his heart for you or a no in his heart for you? And you'd be shocked how many people really think it's no. Is there a God, and is he a God of yes, or is he this kind of a finger-wagging, head-shaking, I'm disappointed in you, God of no? Well, I'm telling you right now, that is not who this incredible God is that we're here to worship and serve. So there's this guy, St. Paul, this apostle. He's in a relationship with the church at Corinth. They're not quite sure what's in Paul's heart towards them because he wrote them a really corrective rebuke, a letter because they were just going into chaos, and he kind of shut them down. But he planned to go and visit with them, and now he had to change those plans. And they're kind of left wondering, hey, is Paul become fickle? Is he a yes or is he a no for us? So Paul writes to them about this directly to say, our relationship ought to be grounded in the character and heart of God. But no, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Christ it has always been yes. And here's the statement. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. Through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So no matter how many promises God has made. So how many promises has God made? Well, according to my count, 7,457. That's incredible, the amount of promises God has made. Now, Paul doesn't say a lot of them are yes. Many of them are yes. He doesn't say most of them are yes. No, no. Every one of them is yes in Christ Jesus. God has a yes in his heart towards you. Even you, old sourpuss, he's got a yes for you. You who feel shamed and inferior, he's got a yes for you too. He does. Now, I don't care what the circumstances are. Your mother may have said no. Your daddy may have said no. Your kids may have said no. Your boss may have said no. You know, your coach may have said no. The IRS may say no. You know, your job said no. That girl, that guy said no. But Paul says all of God's promises, 7,457, are all yes in Christ Jesus. God, will you save me? Yes. God, will you forgive me? Yes. God, will you cleanse me? Yes. God, will you give me a new start? Yes. God, will you give me strength? Yes. God, will you give me wisdom because I don't know what to do? Yes. God, will you give me the ability to forgive this person and triumph over my resentment and bitterness? Yes. God, will you be with me every day of my life until I die? Yes. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God says yes, yes, yes. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And that's the yes you and I are invited to have every day of our life. And it's a staggering statement about the significance of Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in his life, in his teaching, in his death, and in his resurrection. Now, when I was growing up, I remember in church singing an old song. Some of you old-timers can remember it. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. The idea is we all stand on something, but you cannot root your life in your own sufficiency. Every one of you is standing on something. We all stand on what we think is ultimately real or truth, and a lot of really bright people are only standing on what they can see and touch and feel. And sometimes they'll say, try to have a positive mental attitude. But you know what that's like when somebody's just trying to get you happy for no good reason. Now, for a right reason, yeah, but for no good reason. Anytime somebody's trying to psych you out and say, now just psych yourself into having a positive mental attitude, you know about how deep that goes. As soon as tragedy or disaster strikes, that, that's, an, that's a mental attitude that you can't overcome. So Paul, he knew about suffering. He knew about deprivation. He knew about disappointment. He's in prison when he wrote these words. He's headed for beheading and martyrdom when he said, all of God's promises are yes. So God has a yes for you, and every one of us can live in that yes. So there's two yeses 
in this passage. That's the first one. 7,457 fabulous promises. So treasure them, learn them, immerse yourself in them. They're all going to come true. They are all yes because Jesus stands behind them. That's why when I face trouble or adversity, I will quote God's promise and stand on it whether I'm sick whether I'm battling a financial problem or a relational problem or a marriage problem or whatever it may be, I'm going to pull one of those, a couple of those 7,457 yes promises down. And no matter what I'm saying, I'm going to quote them and say yes and amen back to God. Yes, sir. Yeah, but the doctor said, yeah, but by his stripes I am healed. Yes. I'm standing on God's yes to me. But there's a second yes, and that yes comes in this sentence. And so through him, that is Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So the, there's the yes, God speaks to us, 7,457 promises. And then there's the yes we say to God. Now Paul introduces this word for yes. In the Hebrew, it's the word amen. Amen. Now, unfortunately, in our day, it's become a churchy word, a pious word, a cliche, and people get tired of hearing it sometimes. That's not the way people would have heard it when Paul wrote this. In Israel, they loved this word. Amen was yes on steroids. It was jacked up. It wasn't just affirmative. You could translate it in our day so be it. Let it be so. That's the way I want it. Our millennials would say, I'm really down with that. If you want, you can translate it, whoopee. Yeah, it's emphatic in its translation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, whoopee. Because it's true. So in Israel, they love that word. Now, when I was a kid growing up, in church, we used to have a section of the church called the Amen Corner. Some of you had knew that. Some of you older person, you know that was true. Yeah. And, and people get fired up about something being preached or how good God was or how fabulous it was to live in the promises of God. And they just couldn't contain it. And they'd be shouting, Amen. Amen, brother. Preach it, brother. Amen. But today, in the formal churches... It's sort of like a high-class auction. You just sort of nod up an eyebrow. I'm down with that. That, that sucks. That's kind of what it is. Some of you came out of those churches, and you're bringing that in here. Don't do that. Amen is yes or whoopee. Let it be so right on. I'm for that. Amen. It's not a religious word. See? So it was a fabulous word. Let it be so. That's what we shot back to God. Lord, I'm fighting an illness. By your stripes I am healed. You sent your word to heal me, to deliver me from all my destructions. I am begotten of God. The wicked one touches, touches not me because I am yours. Whoopee! Amen. I'm down with that. Let it be so. Yes. That's right. That's a battle. I mean, it is a literal battle. Now, what I want to do in the few moments that's left is walk you through a couple of ways to do it. What God loves more than anything else is people. 
and what he's placed us in the world, if we're a follower of Jesus, is not primarily to say yes to us just for us, but so we can be a conduit of God's yes, God's love, God's power, God's goodness to other people. It's always about other people. It's a strange thing about human relationships. Every time you're with somebody, you're giving them a little yes, or you're giving them a little no. And you feel it, don't you? You can feel it with people. How do I make my life a yes for God and for other people? Uh, I want to arrange my statements around this little statement from Dr. Dallas Willard. It's in a little book he wrote called Renovation of the Heart. And here's what he writes. But every contact with a human being should be one of goodwill and respect with a readiness to acknowledge, make way for, or assist the other person in suitable ways. So how do you do that? Number one, there's the yes of goodwill. At the core of a human being is your will. You can will yes, you can will no. Nobody can take your will from you. And your will as a believer is to will the good for every single person. I want to will good for you. God wills good for you. Paul commands the church at Thessalonica, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as in fact you are doing. Did you know all the time you're either building somebody up or you're tearing them down with your words, your facial expression, your body language? All the time and you can't help it. Now here's the deal. You have people, when you go to work Monday, You'll have people at work or in school, wherever you may be, and they're discouraged about something. You can see it. You can be God's yes to them. You can come alongside. You can encourage them. You can breathe a little bit of life into them. You can challenge them. There's going to be somebody at church on any weekend, and they're suffering through some loss. Maybe they've gone through a divorce. Maybe they've done something horribly shameful, and they're suffering with terrible guilt. Uh, maybe they've got big financial problems. They don't know, is it okay to tell anybody about this? They sneak into church, they sit there, and then they just leave again. You could be the person that looks somebody in the eye and makes a difference in them. You can do it. That's the yes of goodwill towards people. And we are to be people whose wills have now been remade by God, so we walk through life with a will that radiates goodness. You love other people. It's yes love. To, and it doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat, Hispanic, Latino, African American or Caucasian or just screwed up. It doesn't matter. I will good for every single one of you, no matter what place in life you are right now. Gee. Number two, there's the yes of acknowledging people. Acknowledging people. That's a really, really small thing, but really, really important. It's the power of acknowledging another human being. Paul writes to the church at Rome, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we're going to do that except for the kiss part, so don't look too excited, especially if you're sitting by somebody very attractive. Don't, we won't go there. So it's really interesting. Paul didn't say, pass on my greetings to other people in Rome. He did he said, greet each other. In other words, be a people who greet one another. We have a team of people called greeters. Well, reckon what their job is. Uh, greet people who come in. 
We're glad you're here. God bless you. How are you visiting? Can we help you? May I direct you somewhere? I'm a greeter. I'm here to make you feel comfortable, safe, warm, and included. That's what greeters do. Acknowledge each other, Paul said. Not just people you know. Be on the lookout for people. I don't remember seeing them before. Now, maybe they sit over here, but I don't remember seeing them. I'm going to go acknowledge them. I'm going to go greet them. I do it all the time. Go out of your way to do it. Don't just greet people in your culture, background, political party, or race. Greet everybody. That's what he said to do. You don't be selective about that. You just greet anybody and everybody. It can make somebody's day. You don't know. But God said to do it. That ought to be enough. The idea is you go down the street. You know, I came out of the South. And I remember in South Carolina growing up, everybody acknowledged everybody. If you were in a car, I don't care. You could be a bootlegger from Alabama running liquor. It didn't, everybody did that. Every car driver did that. Everybody on the street nodded, tipped a hat. It was just cultural, but it would be greeting one another. Boy, that's not true today. That is, the, if you got a gesture, it'd be kind of ugly gesture if you got one today, right? But you can look at somebody. You can just acknowledge their being there. You can nod towards them. Sometimes wave across the, uh, this big auditorium. I'll see somebody and I'll just wave. I'm way too far away. Get a wave back. What am I doing? I'm just acknowledging. Hey, man, I saw you. Good to see you. Greet one another. Now, how tough is that? Do you have to have a PhD to do that? Some of you are the nicest people in the world, but you're cold as ice. You don't mean to be. You don't realize you are, but you just sit and people would think you're not friendly. And I bet you really are friendly, but you have to come out of your shell and greet people. So I'm just trying to urge you and encourage you to do it. When I walk the aisles, when I go out in the lobby, I do the same thing all the time. It's pretty simple. Or you can just avoid contact. Just walk on through the door, look the other way, get my bulletin. I'm going to my seat. And that's a no. That's not a yes. And so if a person that comes in as a visitor ought to be greeted. But once you've been around a while, you ought to be a greeter too. You don't leave that to one or two professionals. You ought to be the one doing it. We as a whole people greet one another, look at one another. Now, when I'm done with the sermon, I'll usually walk out of here, go out there in the lobby, and I'm on the lookout for people just to say, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming today. God bless you. And I'll just break into groups of people. I'll see a single mom with a little child and walking out the door. I'm not going to let her get, I'm going over there. Hey, hon, thank you guys so much for coming today. Hey, you are one cute little cookie. Are, are you in school? Are you out for spring break? What, what am I doing? I'm acknowledging you. Why can't you do that? You know, don't just acknowledge white people. Don't just acknowledge black people. Black people acknowledge some crackers, and some of you white, white people acknowledge African Americans and get you some Latino, put a little saucy in there. And don't just hang out with your culture, your race. <laughs> I'm trying, honey. Some mama here helped me with an amen. Yeah, let it be so. Whoopee. I'm just so tired of that. And I can't do it by myself, but I try the best I can because I want you to know I'm glad you got up. I know you were a little sleepy. I'm glad you came. I'm glad you took the time to do it. I'm glad you came here instead of somewhere else. I'm glad. I'm really glad. And I want you to know it. But I can only reach so many people. So how about you, Summit family? You doing that. Spread it out. Hey, man, it's good to see you today. Hope you had a good week. Oh, somebody had a problem. Oh, I, w I got a 
diagnostic interview. It didn't go well. Hey, let's pray about it right now. Just a quick prayer together. Just something. Just something. Don't, it, everybody likes a little attention. Look, Dean Martin knew for years. You're nobody till somebody loves you. <laughs> Do you know who Dean Martin is? I don't think they know who. Percy, they don't know who Dean Martin is. I guess I'm getting old. My wife said yes. So number three, there's the yes of making way for other people. We live in a world where people want their own way. Paul put it like this, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So in every encounter I have with somebody else, it's an opportunity to say, you go first. I'll make way for you. It's ridiculously small, but it helps you get into the habit. If you've ever been on an airplane, and I do it a lot, you notice a common phenomenon. When that plane hits the runway, it'll taxi for a while on the ground, and when it pulls into the gate and starts to get up there, you'll start hearing seatbelts going click, 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 click. And all of a sudden, body positions, old people, young people, everybody, it's like the Olympic 100-meter dash. And everybody's thinking, I got to get out in that aisle before that guy gets out in the aisle so I can win the who got off the plane first contest. Like one second is going to make a difference in my life. It's crazy. People lean forward in their seat, unbuckle the belt so they can jump and run. God forbid he beat me off the plane. And that's how, that's how ugly it gets. You just watch it. I know it's small, but when you're at an intersection, somebody in the crosswalk, God bless you. Now, especially on 281, it takes grace. Somebody's trying to come off of Redland Road. Somebody's trying to merge out. It's bumper to bumper, as it always is with construction. And I know in my flesh, I'm impatient. I want to move on. And I see a lady in a car there. And my heart, the new heart Jesus gave me, says, <laughs> make give that lady she got a husband worried about her tearing up that car to get, get let her go just let her go that could be cindy let's let her go now the other part of me is saying you ain't getting out here you, know, you put that front in there i'm gonna knock that front end off that car don't you even stick it out there and so those that little battle of the the, the bad dog and the good dog are always in there but i'm i've learned to be able to say no oh, man you go not you, guy, not behind her, just her. It's one. The guy behind me can take care of you. I, I'm just one. Anybody feel that way but me? Am I? Okay, you're my, you're my crowd. Let's just tell the truth. So would you like to go first? God bless you. So, and we say no for such stupid reasons. In conversations, in my life, in my heart, do I make way for other people? When I greet people in the lobby, sometimes I'm talking to somebody who wants to come up. Maybe they're visiting or they just want to say something. It's good. And then I'll notice a couple of people standing here waiting to see me. I will turn and acknowledge them saying, I'll be right with you. I just want them to know I, you're important. Hang on. I saw you. I like it if I go in a store or if I'm going into Subway or somewhere and, and the guy behind the counter says, I'll be right with you, sir. I got you. So I, he noticed me. Uh, I'm important to him. Instead of just getting in the line and nobody acknowledges you. It's great that they're attentive knowing I'm taking care of this guy, but I see you. I'll be right with you, sir. It means a lot. 
You can do that. You can acknowledge other. Make way. Make space for other people. That's a good thing. It's the yes of inclusion. And number four, there's the yes of assisting. The yes of serving somebody. That was the signature in the early church. Not wardrobe. Not even special little emphasis. But it was servanthood. That's what made it great. Paul would say stuff like, serve one another humbly in love. And that's what the church does and is supposed to do. It's not about being right and wrong. God knows we have enough people and think it's right or they're right. Serve one another humbly in love. And so many of you do this in a wonderful way. That's something, I was at a banquet with Cindy the other, other night honoring somebody's uh, uh, 60 years in ministry. Uh, outstanding achievement. A lot of accomplishments. And somebody in this uh, church, this, the speaker said, just gave them a check for $1 million. $1 million. Just one check. And it was a fundraiser for, 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 the, for the church's uh, new building to, for unwed mothers or something. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Brother Hagee. And he said, somebody just handed me a check for a million dollars. And I remember, I, bet, I said, I bet everybody out there is thinking, I wish I got that check. I'll tell you what I thought. I'd like to write that check. I'd like to be the business guy that could write that sucker. I'd like, I, want, I don't want to have to receive it. I want to be able to give it. I want some of you to prosper so you can do the same thing. I remember walking, I thought, wouldn't it be nice if all, not, not somebody just starting a business, but you own a business, you've been in this business, you're, you're a Christian, you ought to know finance, you'd learn how to honor the Lord with your tithe, to be generous so that God can bless you and wants to bless you. And I thought, I walked into an office one time, and I never will forget the guy said, hey, Rick, what's, what's the biggest need we got financially right now? I didn't ever had anybody say that. That wasn't the purpose of the visit. And I said, well, Nathan told me we need $65,000 for some upgrade on the speaker system or the sound or something electronic. He said, Hazel, write me a check, $65,000 to Summit. And I remember thinking, this is good. This is really good. Wouldn't have to get up and have a message for an offering or anything. Just somebody says, I'll take that. I'll take half of that. I'll call Joe. He'll take the other half of that. We'll pay that. Take care of it. That's serving. No big deal. Nice, nice, nice way to do it. Now, here's the thing. I said all that to say this. I doubt most of you could write a check for a million dollars. But you could serve one of the Easter services. You could get up and come and serve one of them. Thousands of kids packing Easter eggs, uh, keeping some order, uh, helping out in some of the overcrowded areas that we're going to have on Easter. You know, some, you can do something. You can serve in some capacity. You can greet people, make them feel welcome, be on the lookout for people you don't know. How hard is that? No, you can't give a million dollars, but you can do something small that will make a big difference. And most people won't, won't even do that. So I'm thinking, let's be good servants. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to serve humanity and to give my life for other people. It's amazing how many of you come to church as takers. thinking, well, I want what's in it for me. Well, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too long. The music's too fast, too loud, too soft. What? You're a consumer. You're not a Christian. You know, you're like, you think this is the love boat. You think this is the carnival cruise. No, no. We're a battleship. Sailing into enemy territory. 
We're going to endure hardship. We're not here for us. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to bless and help other people come to know good news, get marriages uh, put back together, get people healed spiritually, physically, uh, help people discover purpose and, and meaning in life, uh, to break down barriers of separation in people with prejudice and racism and bigotry. I mean, that's the big stuff of life. It's not about your dumb hairdo or you don't smoke for crying out loud. I'd rather you smoke and be nice to people. That'd be nice. I don't fit in a mold. I know it. I know it. So try the yes of serving. When you go to work, our world has enough people at work with a no in their heart. And it's life-giving to watch somebody work with a yes. A couple of years ago in California, I was in a restaurant. Man, it was packed. There was a big line. And I remember looking at the hostess and commented on how crowded it was and how long the lines were. And I, I thought she would say to me about how much pressure and stress she was under. But instead, she gave me a big smile and said, this place is on fire and I love it. And I thought, wow, that's a big yes. I love it. There's something contagious when somebody goes into work with a yes. When you go to work, whether it's a volunteer, whether it's for money, whether you think you've got an important job or it feels like drudgery or a high status or low status, Paul says, do you understand you are working for God? God sees what you're doing. God delights in it when you do well. He says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord no matter what it is. That's a promise. He sees, he rewards, he cares whether anybody else does or not. And finally, there's the yes of joy. We're invited into it not because your circumstances are good, because maybe they're not. You're not invited into joy because you're smart, not because you're rich, not because you're young, not because you're untouched by suffering or cancer or sorrow, but because all God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. That's the reality in which we live. All God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Amen. Whoopee. Let it be so. Now, this is in the Old Testament. And as the Ark of the Covenant of God came to the city of David, Jerusalem, Michael, the daughter of Saul, David's wife, looked out the window and saw King David dancing and rejoicing, and she despised him in her heart. What's being foreshadowed here is the Ark of the Covenant was a picture, a shadow of the glory of God upon it, but it prefigured Jesus, the full glory of God who would come in person one day. So now, in Jesus, God is as close to me as the air I breathe. I can respond in one of two ways, with a yes or a no. I can be David, I can be his wife Michael. I can dance or I can despise. And the question is, why don't you dance? The Bible says, let's praise him in the dance. Eat that, Baptist. You love the Bible? You thump the Bible, why don't you read it? Let's praise him with the dance. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Clap your hands, all you saints. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. That's Bible. That's not for one group. That's for a believer. Church is a noisy place. <laughs> it ought to be. So you've got one life, and all God's promises are yes. So whatever's going on in your life, when you wake up in the morning, say yes to life. Say yes to people. Say yes to your work. Say yes to God. Why don't you dance? 
We do it not because it's a good thing to have a positive mental attitude, and it is. We do it not because it makes things pleasant for us. It usually does. We do it not because our circumstances are going great, because sometimes they aren't. We do it because God has made 7,457 promises, and every single one of those suckers is yes in Christ Jesus. Amen? Every single one of them was paid for by Jesus when he went to the cross, paid for our sin, gave his life, shed his blood, and rose from the dead. Every single one of them was guaranteed on the third day after he rose from the dead. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say it, but I can't see Jesus walking out of the tomb. I think maybe he was making salsa moves when he came out. I think he'd be grooving when he came out of there from the dead. That's why we say yes to God. That's why we dance. That's why the Bible ends the way it does. A lot of people have never read the final words of Scripture, but they're pretty darned glorious words. This is what John writes. He who testifies to these things, the promises I just read, that's Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Now, it may not look like soon when you suffer, when you struggle, when people live and people die. I understand that. But in light of eternity, in the eyes of God, who doesn't wear a watch, it's just the blink of a moment. Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. We say amen to that. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let it be so. Yes. Whoopee. That's the way the book ends. So when you wake up tomorrow, when you see people, when you work, when you rest, when you laugh, when you cry, when you live, make every moment, yes, amen, let it be so, whoopee, back to God. Let that be your prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whatever no you might have at this moment, a disappointment, a relationship, a heartache, a hurt, a loss, just hear God's yes over you. Immerse yourself in the yes of God. The God who says, I love you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You are my beloved. You're engraved in the palm of my hand. I am delighted you're alive on this earth. See the God of yes who says, I thought you up. Don't you know that? I made you the way you are. I love you the way you are. My son died on a cross for you so that one day you will be just the way I designed you to be. Then you say yes to God. Yes, I'll go where you want me to go. Yes, I'll do what you want me to do. Yes, I'll give what you want me to give. We will be who you want us to be with your power and grace and help. God, when we wake up and when we go to sleep, we offer you now our words, our actions, our lives. We say, yes, God, let it be so. Whoopee. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.